Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah, in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Ilmspring, Islamic education for kids reimagined, a partnership between Al-Maghrib and Noor Kids. Our mission is to present the beauty of Islam to our children through unique programming that will educate, inspire, build character, and connect them to a thriving community. An online platform where kids aged 9 to 14 can learn what it means to love Islam, to gain a deeper connection with their faith, and grow into confident believers with a curriculum designed by experts in Islam and child education. A simple interactive portal and community of friends and mentors around the world, Ilm Spring is the new space for bright young believers. The first thing that the Prophet did when he entered Medina was... Build the masjid. He built the masjid. The first masjid that he built, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, was Masjid Quba. Masjid Quba. We said that he went to Masjid Quba in the Quba area. That was the first masjid that he built, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then, when he moved into Medina, same thing with the camel. Brought the camel. It landed in an area, and this is where the Prophet said that they would build the masjid where the camel stopped. Inside the area where the camel stopped, it had graves, it had trees, and it had ruins, right? Ruins meaning like some broken down walls and stuff like that. It, it was an area that belonged to two orphans. Uh, their names were uh, Sahel and Sohail. And the Prophet ﷺ purchased it. They were going to give it to the Prophet ﷺ, but he refused. And he purchased the land from them. And on that land, the Prophet ﷺ built Masjid and Nabawi. With regards to the graves, it had graves of mushrikeen. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, they took the graves out. They expelled the graves. The ruins, they flattened it out. And the trees, they cut down. So they, like, laid the foundation for Masjid Nabawi. The Masjid, the foundation of it, the Prophet ﷺ put down. And the companions built on that foundation that the Prophet ﷺ built. It was made with bricks. They're called labina. The bricks are called labina. Labina is like a, a mud brick. It's like mixed with the mud and so on and so forth. So they built up the walls with the labina and then they would cover areas with uh, palm trees. Some of them were covered with like the palm tree, right? Palm trees, uh, like a roof and other parts of Masjid Nabawi. It was just like labina. And there's not even like a, a, a carpet. So sometimes the Prophet ﷺ, sometimes they'd enter into the masjid and they would, um, they're entering into the masjid and if it rained or the Prophet ﷺ is going to sajda, he'd come up and there's like the sand is on his forehead. ﷺ. Also when you see the hadith about like people walking into the masjid or people, uh, you'll hear the story of the Bedouin that came into the masjid and urinated in the masjid, right? And you're, you're thinking of, you know, oh, London masjid, so-and-so, how could someone, you know, urinate? But actually, if you realize, it's just sand, palm trees, and so on. So you might better understand those hadith, that someone just come into the masjid. It's a very simple masjid. Go to a side and start urinating or something like that. And then they poured on it and they cleaned it. The Prophet Wasallam's home was attached to the masjid. And there was actually multiple homes that were attached to the masjid. The homes... If you're building four walls, because that's basically what the home was, it's just four walls. So what people would do is to save themselves the hassle of building a fourth wall, they would build three walls attached to someone else's wall. Okay, that was, and in fact there's a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that no neighbor should deny his neighbor from building walls attached to their walls. So if you've seen, like say, um, 
say British homes or something like that, you, there is like a few centimeters between two homes. But they won't build it attached because like, oh, we don't want to touch their wall or something like that, right? And, and of course, there are places that are attached like that. But the masjid was attached. People had these homes attached to the masjid and their homes would open up into the masjid. So that's why you see the Prophet Sallallahu home, where his grave is now, was attached to the masjid from the outside. So these are like masjid. When the Prophet Sallallahu passed away, one of his final commandments was that all the doors to the masjid be closed, sealed, and that people would have to come from the outside. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, except the home of Abu Bakr. So there's a special uh, quality for Abu Bakr that his home still opened up to Masjid Nabawi. The Prophet ﷺ's home was very modest. Even though at that time they did have castles, right? So there was, like for example, on the outskirts near Quba, there's like even remnants of, of places like that, like castles. Even to our standards today, you're looking like huge homes. And the Prophet ﷺ, if that was what you know, he wanted, then the Prophet ﷺ could have easily asked for it and had a big castle and so on. But he didn't ﷺ. His home was very modest, very simple. Even when, you'll see when the Prophet ﷺ, if he's doing sajda, if he's doing sajda in the night, praying qiyamul layl, he'll do sajda and he'll tap the legs of Aisha so she would like pull her legs in so he could prostrate on the place where they sleep and pray. It's the same area. And then when, she, when he would stand up, she'd like spread her legs out. Meaning that the place where they're praying and the place where they're sleeping is like a straw mat. And it's like the same area. Very humble, very simple living, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. With regards to the adhan, how would they call Muslims to come for prayer? So they did shura, the Prophet did shura with them, which is another fundamental uh, um, ingredient of the success of the companions is shura, it's consultation. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he says that I've never seen someone do more shura than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And if there was ever someone who didn't need to do shura, it was the Prophet sallallahu but yet he did it the most. Obviously teaching the ummah that this is, success comes through doing shura. Success comes through doing shura. The reason I bring that up is because a lot of people when they do, they don't do shura because they belittle the opinions of the community. So if you say to someone, hey, did you do shura? He's like, oh, if you just ask them, they'll just say, we want biryani, we want biryani. They always want biryani. It's like their, their shura doesn't bring much benefit. So there's no point in asking these people. There's no point in asking them. But that's not the correct stance. It's been my experience that when someone does shura, there's so much barakah in doing shura and so much information. I'll give you this example that in a class, if I don't know something in the class, guarantee there's someone in the class that knows it, right? No matter how difficult the question is, if I ask it properly, there's someone who knows the hadith or knows companion, oh, this was such, such and such a companion. And so you're taking benefit from all these masses of people and then you're extracting the good. Doesn't mean you have to accept it, but you're taking all the shura from the people, right? So look into that for leadership skills is shura, fundamental. So the adhan, they did shura on it. The first person is saying, let's have a flag or light a fire when it's time for salah. But then they said, no, if someone's sleeping, then they're not going to see a flag being raised or they're not going to see a fire and so on. So someone else said, let's do the horn. Like the Jews had a horn. And they said, no, 
Other people said, let's do a bell, like the Christians have a bell, and they refused it. They said no. So while they were in this debate and discussing which, how should they call the people to prayer, Abdullah ibn Zayd, right, the person who saw the dream was Abdullah ibn Zayd. He had a dream in which someone came to him and taught him the words of the Adhan. And so he came to the Prophet ﷺ. It was like a daydream, right? Uh, meaning like he's sleeping during the day. He came back and told the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, it's a true dream. And they accepted it. And another companion saw the same dream. Here's a critical point. Abdullah bin Zayd, which is another fundamental, this is a fundamental thing that you'll see in the seerah happening again and again and again. Abdullah bin Zayd, even though he saw the dream, he himself didn't get to say the adhan. He was not the mu'adhan of the Prophet ﷺ. Who was the mu'adhan of the Prophet ﷺ? Bilal radiallahu anhu. So the Prophet ﷺ accepted the dream, the words that he had saw, he said it's a true dream. He said, now go and teach it to Bilal because he has a better voice than you. So now normally, normal Muslims, they'd be crushed. He's like, what do you mean? My voice isn't good. I can't see it. Have a voice like that? He wants to, I saw the dream. That's my dream. But yet, the Prophet ﷺ picked the person who was best capable for the position. Pick the person that's best capable. Which I would give you as a leadership lesson. You have multiple volunteers with you. Ask them what they're good at and what they enjoy doing and so on and so forth. And then put them into positions where they naturally enjoy to work. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created human beings in balance. Not everybody loves to do the same thing all the time, right? So you find people, one person likes to do secretarial work, one person likes to do like leadership type of work, one other person doesn't like to be in front of people, they're so embarrassed, they want to be behind the scenes. Other people are like, they want to be in front of the people, interacting with people. Everybody has their nature. Now, if some, you have someone who it's not their nature, but you want to stick them in a position where they're not good at, they're not going to do an exceptional job. They can do the job, they're not going to do an exceptional job. And so it would be better for you to keep searching and finding people so that it fits their nature, right? And that their expertise at it. Bilal radiallahu anhu was saying the adhan, and Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum radiallahu anhu was one of the muadhins of the Prophet as well. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum radiallahu anhu. So for Fajr, for example, there's um, a first adhan which like starts to wake people up to pray Qiyamul Layl for those who are fasting to do suhoor and so on. Fajr hasn't started. And that would be like Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum saying that adhan. So when you hear the change of adhan, when it's this adhan, that means it's time to you know, start waking up and pray Qiyamul Layl and so on and so forth. When Bilal would say the adhan, that means like it's Fajr time. Right? So they had more than one mu'adhan. The first khutbah of the Prophet took place he was in Quba, and they were walking towards like inner Medina. It was on a Friday. And there's a masjid near to Mr. Quba. It's like walking distance, very short. It's uh, called Masjid Al-Jumu'ah. It's called Masjid Al-Jumu'ah. And in that area, the Prophet ﷺ gave his first Jummah Khutbah in Medina. The topic of the Jummah Khutbah was about protecting oneself from hellfire. The hadith actually, the protecting oneself from hellfire, even with half a date... Right? That hadith that many of you are familiar with, that uh, puts something between you and hellfire, even if it's half a day, the Prophet said that in his first khutbah in Medina. His first khutbah in Medina. The masjid became the central location for the Muslims, right? For the Ummah. So the Prophet, the first thing that he did when he went to Medina was 
establish the masjid. We learned there that let's say you got a job offer somewhere, somewhere in Europe or something like that. In fact, your number one, your number one criteria for where you're going to live is where is the nearest masjid, right? Or you're trying to look for, and maybe you want to go to an area, it's a really good job, and there's no masjid in that area, then you build a masjid there. Right, start a musalla and stay, you know, you always have to be in the masjid. I can't imagine someone living somewhere and there's no masjid in the area. And they chose to be in, air, in an area where they're not going to be praying in the masjid. Because everywhere is too far, they're just going to be on their own. And the Prophet ﷺ, when you have sheep and the wolf is coming to eat the sheep, the, the wolf will go after that sheep that has separated himself from the congregation. Right, so the sheep that's lagging behind and so on and so forth, it's so easy for that sheep to be eaten. Versus the sheep that's like right in the middle of the herd. If it's right in the middle of the herd and surrounded, there's all these layers of you know, protection before the wolf can get to that sheep. So think of you know, your lifestyle and so on, where you're living, what masjid you're, you're based in, and so on and so forth. The Prophet was right beside the masjid. Here's another thing about the masajid, is that they had musalla, right? So do you guys have like a jammy mosque here? Is there a masjid called jammy mosque? It's supposed to be jami'ah, okay? It's kind of like the jam session. It's not jam session, it's jama'ah. So, in the old cities, in the old cities, they had multiple musallas. A musalla is more of, it doesn't take like the ruling full force of a masjid. It's a place where the Muslims have come together, they pray like their salah and so on and so forth, and they're smaller. Then, when on, on Friday, on Jummah, the musallas, they close, and everybody from the city comes central to pray in Masjid Al-Jami'ah. Al-Jami'ah means the, like the congregation masjid. So all these smaller masjids, the ones on the outskirts of town and so on and so forth, basically they don't pray Jummah in it. The people go in centrally to the main masjid. And that's how, so during the, during the week, People are praying like their normal prayers, Fajr, the Hasma, they're praying in these musallas. And then when the main, um, when Friday would come, the congregation, they would come in their inner city to pray at Masjid al Jamia. All right, so the masjid, what was it used for? The masjid is very simple. It just has these lebina, right, the, the mud bricks. There's like some uh, palm tree covering parts of it. You know what's interesting? In the masjid, the Prophet Sallallahu mimbar, mimbar, the place where he'd give the khutbah, was a palm tree. It was a palm tree. So the Prophet Sallallahu would like step on this palm tree and, you know, tell the people, you know, the Jummah khutbah and so on and so forth. Then someone made a mimbar for him. Someone made a mimbar, mimbar for him. This is from the miracles of the Prophet Sallallahu He then left the palm tree and started like doing khutbah on like that step the palm tree started crying. And the companions of the line of the Prophet ﷺ was consoling the palm tree because the Prophet ﷺ wasn't going to stand on it anymore. And it was sad that the Prophet ﷺ had, you know, it became obsolete, that, that tree. So in the masjid, there were many different things that the masjid was used for. It was like the markaz, it was like the, the main central area. So let's, let's um, just go through some list of things that the masjid was used for. Children grew up in the masjid. Right? As opposed to our masjids where we're always kicking out the children and stuff like that, right? Children grew up in the masjid. And obviously from the ages when they're paying attention, I can't imagine children running around in the masjid, nobody cares about them. Masjid is full, all the lines are tight in Masjid Nabawi. 
And there's children growing up there, learning and so on and so forth. You have the example, Prophet ﷺ hastened his prayer one time because a woman had a child that was crying. And the Prophet ﷺ said he didn't want to disturb you know, the, the woman because the child's crying. You'll also see examples of the Prophet ﷺ. He's in sajda and he took very long. And when he came up, you know, he finished the prayer, they, you know, they thought, what happened? You took so long. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Hasan al-Husayn, his grandsons, were on his back playing. And he didn't want to disturb them. You know how like if you go into sajda, your child just comes and starts, you know, surfing you on the back when you're in sajda? Inshallah, may Allah bless you all with children so you can experience the child sajda surf. <laughs> Alright, so they, they grew up in the masjid. The, these children, they were there. And sometimes in prayer, the Prophet ﷺ, there'd be like a little girl, there's hadith, that in prayer he would pick her up, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and hold her while he was praying. And she wasn't even like related to the Prophet He's holding children in his hands while he's praying, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In the masjid, there's the education. So you see, for example, one of the oldest universities on earth is Al-Azhar University. Al-Azhar University, when you see it, a picture of it, it's a masjid. Right? And it kind of like extended out of the masjids. The masjids were the universities. This was a central location for the education of the community. And some of you have prepared your speeches, inshallah ta'ala, about education. You'll learn more about that. Um, with regards to organization, the community is organized. Obviously, if you've seen the masjid, you know, when you say, oh, Muslims aren't organized, blah, blah, blah. Go to the masjid and you'll see organization. Organization that would like even dumbfound other people. How can you organize one million people? Or two million people in one prayer. How do you do it? You say the adhan and give the iqama. That's how you organize them. Two million people, everybody's in prayer. Everybody knows what to do. Right? Two million people. And I, I noticed this while I was standing in one of the hotels outside the Kaaba. It's like Hajj time or Ramadan. And the mu'adhan, you know, there's all these people. looks like ants and everybody's going in different directions, so on and so forth. The mu'adhan says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And just in that, how long does the iqamah take? Like 50 seconds or something like that, one minute. And then you have the imam just says, Istaw. <laughs> Allahu Akbar, right? How many people just got organized right there? Two million people. Two million people are in perfect rows around the Kaaba. Not all the rows are perfect, but most of the rows are perfect, right? <laughs> Two million people around the cabinet, everybody's in line. Now, who can claim that? And so when, when uh, usually Muslims, they're like, we're so bad, we're so backwards, we're so this and that. But that's organization that nobody on earth exists or has the power to do that. Right? A Jummah khutbah or the organization of the masjid. It's just that we're sitting on this gold mine of organization that, like they'll say, like a sleeping giant. Right? You, there's so much organization there, it's just you haven't really tapped into it. So the organization, the Prophet ﷺ would organize other things in the masjid. If there's like battles, they're organizing battles. If there's things in the community, they're organizing it. Distribution, sadaqah, distribution, and so on. The masjid is also used as a hospital. Hospital meaning if someone got sick, they would be nursed in the masjid. So people would be like in the masjid, such as Sa'd ibn Mu'adh will talk about him. He got hit in one of the battles and they took him to the masjid to be nursed. It was a homeless shelter for people that didn't have homes. So if people came to a city and they had nowhere to sleep, where would they sleep? Sleep at the masjid. Now normally what we do is we lock the masjid at the end of the day. It's for security reasons. <laughs> homeless shelter though. 
And so in Masjid Nabawi, there's a suffa. Until today, it's a raised platform in the old masjid. It's a raised platform that the poor and needy of Medina used to be there. That suffa area, the poor and needy of Medina used to be there. So if you go to Masjid Nabawi, you'll see right behind like the old masjid, the rawda, there's till today, it's still a raised platform. That's known as a suffa. So Abu Huraira, there's a story in which Abu Huraira didn't have wealth. And one day he was very hungry, very hungry, but he would never ask someone for money. So he went to Umar anhu, and he's, he's like, would you like me to read Qur'an for you? And he's like, sure. And he read some Qur'an. Hopefully he would get the hint that he's hungry. But Umar didn't get the hint. And then he read to Abu Bakr anhu, read, would you like me to read some Qur'an for you? Yes. Hopefully he'd get the hint that he was hungry, but he didn't get the hint. And then he went to the Prophet and the Prophet recognized that he was hungry. And just when they were sitting there, some woman came and she brought some milk. She brought some milk. And Abu Huraira was like, yes. <laughs> He'll get to eat something. Right? SubhanAllah, the milk is their food. Right? They just have, there's no food and he'll get to drink some milk. And so the Prophet said to Abu Huraira, let's take this to Ashab al-Sufa. The area that I just talked about, that raised platform in the masjid, the Prophet said, take it and let's go feed the needy people in Medina, at the, like in the Sufa area. So and now I'm even thinking, you think it's somewhere very far, it's like a matter of a few steps. Right? The Sufa area is like right there, so the Prophet comes out of his home. Home wasn't inside the masjid, obviously they're going from the outside or through the masjid. And he takes, and Abu Hurairah is like, you know, there's so many people in the Sufa, maybe 70 people or something like that, right? And then the Prophet said to Abu Hurairah to pour the milk. And now there's a hadith in which, you know how some people, if you're at a dinner party or something like that, someone like pours and then they take their drink and they go. Prophet said, The person who pours is the last person to drink. It's like from the Sunnah of the Prophet. So, as etiquettes for your guests, don't go to like go get some Coke or something like that, pour yourself and walk away. If you grab the Coke, that's it. You're the one who's going to give to everybody. And there's lots of ajr in that. So as soon as you start pouring, you pour, and you give to this person, you give to that, until everybody's taken, and then you take. All right? So take note of that. This is the etiquette. Everybody drinks, you're the one who's pouring, and there's lots of reward in that. Abu Huraira knows this hadith. Saqil qawm akhiruhum. The person who pours for the people is the last person to drink. So the Prophet said to pour for Ashab al-Sufa. And Abu is like, now there's going to be nothing left for me. Because he was like, all these people, they're all going to drink and I'm not going to get it. But Abu Huraira is pouring and they're drinking. Everybody's drinking and having their fill and so on. Until the end, when the Prophet then told Abu Huraira, drink. And Abu Huraira, he took, there's still some left over. He drank. The Prophet said, Ishrab. He said, drink. And Abu Huraira drank. And he said, Ishrab. He said, drink more. And Abu Huraira kept drinking, drinking until he said, Ya Rasulullah. He's like, I'm stuffed. Can't drink anymore. And then the Prophet drank. So this is from the Barakah, miracles of the Prophet. Point I'm saying here, it's um, for the needy of the community, they're in the masjid. The needy is in the masjid. So they're not needy and they're out and living far away. They're there in the masjid and they can be taken care of. Uh, with regards to socializing, so in the masjid, if someone was missing prayers, they know that he must be sick. Right? If someone's missing prayers and they're not in the masjid, he must be sick, something must have happened. Or they're a hypocrite and they don't pray in the masjid. One of the two. 
Either they're a hypocrite, they don't pray in the masjid, or the person is sick. So this is like after salah, they'll be like, where's so-and-so? Let's go and visit them. So you'd know immediately who's sick in the community. The way we live our lives now, how does someone know if someone is dead? And they've died in their house. How do they know? The bad smell that comes after like three days. Meaning the person is abandoned. Everybody's like living their cyber lives like, oh, haven't seen you lately. Where you been? You know what I mean? People living their cyber lives. But they there's not actually like human interaction. So a person dies in their house. Nobody will know. Nobody cares. However, in the masjid, the, the community is such that if someone is, is missing from the masjid, they can easily follow up with a person like that. The masjid also was a think tank. When we're talking about shura, they would do shura in the masjid. So they'd gather together. If there's a shura moment, there's a meeting, they're going to be doing shura, they would do this in the masjid. So the Prophet ﷺ, for example, the situation where people are spreading rumors about Aisha in the masjid he's asking them, you know, give me your opinion, what should I do about someone who's speaking about my wife and so on. Battle of Al-Ahzab, similarly, masjid was a think tank. It was a place of charity. So when they would do like fundraisers or something like that, it would happen in the masjid. In the masjid. So the Prophet ﷺ would see some, like uh, a poor tribe of people coming and the Prophet ﷺ in the masjid would encourage the people to give sadaqah. And they were distributing the sadaqah in the masjid. And the masjid was a spa. What do you guys do in a spa? Do you know what a spa is? S-P-A. Spa. What do you do in a, in a spa? What do you do? You relax? I'm sure you do. You're going to relax. What happens in a spa? You get a massage, right? You get a pedicure and a manicure. Someone gives you like a massage and you relax and they use like these nice smells and all of that, right? Correct? You guys don't get pedicures, do you? Some of the brothers don't even know what a pedicure is. Okay? So the masjid was the spa in the sense that this is the place of relaxation. The Prophet ﷺ, if something was um, disturbing him, where would he go? He would go to the masjid to relax. He would go for salah. And he would relax in his prayer, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he would say, this famous statement that he would say to Bilal radiallahu anhu, arihna biha ya Bilal, which means... Relax us with it, O Bilal. Relax us, meaning call the Adhan, call the Iqama, let's start praying. And this is something actually, you know, subhanAllah, um, this is my own little footnote for all those people who have marital problems. One of, I would say one of the problems that why these, the stress gets so intense in the family is because the men don't pray in the masjid. There's no opportunity for them to relax their minds. So they're always fight, fight, fight. So a lot of times comes and the guy's praying in the house. And the, next, and, the, and the fight hasn't stopped. Like if the person left the house, then the wife would desire for him to come back. But he won't leave. <laughs> She's getting sick of him. And he's, you know, they're always, he's like, and, and that's the salah of, of the women. The women are praying in the houses. And then the men have like adopted that style. So they're also like praying in the house with the women. But you see, the men in the olden days, nobody's praying in their houses. Nobody prays in their house. And that's why they had local musallas. Someone would say, well, you know, the masjid is very far. I just mentioned that they had local musallas. That's why they had the musallas. Every salah is being prayed outside. Except like their sunnah prayers. They'll come home, pray their sunnah prayers and so on. And then they'll go pray their farad at the masjid, go back. They're praying in musallas that are very near to them. They step out of their homes, the musallas are there. So it's just a matter of setting up smaller musallas in your area. You can pray in jama'ah in, um, in your local areas. And inshallah ta'ala, you'll have better marital relationships. Okay, so the masjid. 
a Bedouin comes, imagine this, a Bedouin comes from the desert. He see, you know, he heard that there's a man claiming prophethood and so on. He comes, where does he find the Prophet Finds him at the masjid. So he comes into the masjid, what does he see in the masjid? Bricks, you know, mud bricks, some palm tree, maybe a mimbar, and very simple. He sees companions of the Prophet He can't even tell who the Prophet is because they're all sitting in a normal gathering. He asks the Prophet some questions. There's hadith like this. He'll ask the Prophet some questions. Prophet in some situations, he would say, who will teach this man? And so one of the companions, they volunteer. They take the person aside and they teach him some Qur'an. He learns some surahs of the Qur'an. He learns that there's a Prophet sent by God. He's a messenger of Allah. And then that Bedouin goes back to his home. Back into like the desert and so on and so forth. His whole tribe becomes Muslim. And they come back to the Prophet And so from this masjid, you see the amount of barakah that came from it. It wasn't because they had an amazing chandelier in the masjid, or it was like very fancy and this and that, but it was the people inside the masjid. It was the people inside the masjid. And so when you say masjid Nabawi, and this deen, you know, kind of like the nucleus of this deen is Medina, and the nucleus of that is from Masjid Nabawi, that all this message spread. That's why they'll say, uh, you know, Medina al-Munawwara, the illuminated Medina. And a lot of times in our communities, when, when we're talking about masjid, a lot of focus is on the walls of the masjid. So someone will say, oh, you know, we need to expand this. And I, and I agree with that, definitely. We need to expand it and get nice chandeliers and all of that. But then at the same time, like you have, say, an Islamic school. You have an Islamic school. So many people are trying to fundraise, build Islamic school, Islamic school. But who will encourage their children to go into education so they can be teachers at the Islamic school? Right? They'll build the Islamic school, but their kids go somewhere else. Or, you know, the focus of the community is elsewhere. And so I would say that the focus, more importantly than the walls, is the people inside the masjid. It's building the people. And that was the focus of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa when they were building the masjid, the Prophet ﷺ was building it with them. So he didn't tell them, go and build the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ, with the bricks, was carrying the bricks with them. So they were, you know, if they got tired, while the, if they started to get tired, they would see the Prophet ﷺ. These are the companions of the Prophet starting to feel tired. They would see the Prophet ﷺ working, and they would say, how can we sit down while the Prophet ﷺ is working? Their statement, That if, how can we, like, how could it be that we're sitting while the Messenger of Allah, while the Prophet is working, that that is something, you know, very, you know, bad for them to do. And, and this is a leader. The leader is doing that which he wishes the people to do. He's doing the same actions, right? Another example of this in building the masjid Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu in the building of the masjid everybody's taking like one labina they're getting it and bringing it to the masjid and putting it down and they'd go get bricks Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu these are huge bricks even the companions of the Prophet everybody's doing one brick one brick Ammar ibn Yasir is bringing two bricks right he's bringing two bricks because his his idea is I'm going to build them I'm going to get more reward for building Masjid Nabawi right Prophet's Masjid the Prophet everybody's bringing one brick, one brick, and uh, Ammar ibn Yasir is bringing two bricks, two bricks. Remember Ammar ibn Yasir, his parents, Yasir, and his uh, mother Sumayya, they were killed shaheed, they were tortured till death. 
He came to Medina to be with the Prophet ﷺ. Now here in the masjid, he's striving so much to build the masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ, he had these bricks and the Prophet ﷺ, his whole body is dusty because of the bricks and they're all on his body and so on. The Prophet ﷺ wiped the dust from his forehead and he said to him, Yarhamukallah ya ibn Sumayya. He said, may the mercy of Allah be upon you, O son of Sumayya. And then the Prophet ﷺ said a statement to him. He said, he said, you will be killed by the like, transgressive army. Now, how is that a praise for Ammar ibn Yasir? How is that a praise? Who would know? How is that a praise? Yes? Okay, Shaheed. Okay, what else? Sorry? The Prophet informed him about his death. What That's better awesome. way to Where'd you get that microphone death? from? <laughs> yes, go ahead, say it again. The Prophet informed him of his death. What better way to be informed about your death? Um, <laughs> no, I'm looking for, you know, how is this a praise? He said you will be killed by the transgressive army. How is that a praise for Ammar bin Yasir? Yes, brother. Okay, that's it. That's it. And we, there's some crisps here. We'll give it to you after, inshallah. The answer is this. The, when the Prophet said you'll be killed by the, um, the uh, transgressive army or the oppressive army, that means that Ammar ibn Yasir will be on the truth until he dies, which means that he will die on the truth and he will go to Jannah. His whole life he'll be on the truth and whatever path he takes, that will be the truth. And in fact, um, that was later when there was like uh, battles that took place between the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Ammar ibn Yasir was in the army of Ali radiallahu anhu. Ammar ibn Yasir was in the army of Ali radiallahu anhu. And in fact, when Ali radiallahu anhu is discussing with Talha and Zubair radiallahu anhum, he said to them that Ammar's in my army. He goes, that means I'm on the truth. And I swear by Allah, Zubair left the battlefield because of that. He said, you're right. And he turned away because Ammar was in his army. And he said, remember that day in the masjid when we were building it? And the Prophet ﷺ wiped the dust from his face. What did he say to him? And he heard him. They know the hadith that he said, تَقْتُلَكَ الْفِئَةَ And Zubair is actually, he left the battlefield and he was killed, leaving the battlefield. Someone killed him on the way out. 